In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Psalm 119 is one of the most beautiful psalms. It is the longest psalm, and we create in the first watch of the midnight hour. It is composed on the Hebrew alphabet. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So these are 22 sections or 22 parts. Every part is composed of eight verses. Unfortunately, I don't know the Hebrew alphabet, but let me assume that the first letter is alpha. So the eight verses start with alpha. Each verse starts with alpha in the first part. Then in the second part, let's say beta. So the, every verse of the eight verses starts with beta. Third part, and, and so on. And every single verse, every single verse, you will have a reference to the Word of God, except very, very few verses. But every, for example, here, verse 17, your word, verse 18, your law, verse 19, commandment, verse 20, judgment, verse 21, commandments, verse 22, testimonies, and so on. So every single word has a reference to the word of God. And we as servants, actually, we maybe we, our, our main mission is to teach and to preach the word of God. So we need to value the word of God in our life in order to be able to communicate this to our children. So today actually I will study section number three and hopefully number four. So I'll try يعني, 16 verse because if every section is eight verses. So it will be number three and number four. And this will include a number three from verse 17 to 24. And number four will be from verse 25 to 32. The alphabet in Hebrew, the third letter is Gimal, and the fourth letter is Daleth. Maybe I'm pronouncing them wrong, but it's okay. In the first and second section, the first 16 verse, one can see how the psalmist has become intimate with the law of God. It became part of his life. Wholeheartedly, he is seeking the word of God, living by the word of God. In section 3 and 4, here is another example of his yearning for the word of God. He is asking God to mature him in his word, which means we will grow into spiritual maturity through the word of God, so that he can live a life that will honor God's law according to the law of God. And that his life would be a witness of God's word and law. That his example would point others to God. When we live according to the word of God, we will be example to others. And our life will preach just our life, our conduct, 
will be like a witness to others to return back to God. The psalmist here is praying a prayer, reaching out to God for help and assistance in living for him. He knows the word of God. He studied the word of God. But knowing the word of God is not enough to apply it in your life. You need to pray and ask the grace of God to help you to apply the word. For example, all of us, we know the commandments, love your enemy. All of us, we know the commands about forgiveness. All of us, we know the commands about reconciliation. But how many of us can apply them? You cannot apply it by yourself. You need the grace of God. That's why in this part, he's praying that God may help him to live according to the word. The third section, Gimel, it is the, the outline, beholding wonderful things from the word of God. How he can see the wonderful depth of the word of God. And fourth section, Dalith, strengthening himself by the word of God. How to strengthen yourself by the word of God. Also, number three, he was going through many tribulations. I'm sure you know David, all his life, he went through many tribulations. And how the word of God was his help and comfort during this time. Verse 17, which is the first verse in section 3. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. So he was going through many tribulations. And in the main tribulation, he couldn't see himself living with these tribulations. Because many people wanted his life. Saul, his son, Absalom, Achitophel. So he's asking God to deal bountifully with him that he may live. And why he want to live? To keep the word of God. To honor. It's not just for living, but to keep his word. So this is a wonderful request. Boldly asking for blessing. When he said, deal bountifully. But at the same time, he is coming humbly before God and he said, deal bountifully with your servant. The servant probably depends upon the master for his bounty. So that's in his mind. I'm just a servant. You are my master. So deal bountifully with me. So the psalmist was asking for a lot, bountifully. Not just a little. Because the word bountifully means fullness or maximized benefit. So he doesn't want God to hold the back on anything necessary to keep him in the will of God. Give me everything I needed to conduct my life according to your will. So he pleads not by the way of his merits. Not because I deserve, no. But praise that God would deal manfully with him because of God's grace and God's mercy. Why he is asking God to deal bountifully for him? He said, that I may live 
and keep your word. That's why the psalmist asking for God's blessing. It was not for personal indulgence or comfort. Maybe we ask God to give us richness, money, whatever, just for our comfort. Unfortunately, some of us for their indulgence. But he is asking God to deal bound for him so that God's word might be left and kept. If he left, he will keep the word of God. So the continuance of life was dependent on the grace of God. If you don't deal bountifully with me, I would lose my life. He asked that life might be continued, that I may live, in order that he might honor the word of God by obeying it and keep your word. David perceived or understood that his life is a reward or a gift from God. The psalmist feels a commitment because our life is a gift from God. That's why we should be committed to dedicate our life to God. It is his gift for us to God, to his service or for the growth of the kingdom of God. And as we will see in the rest of this section, the psalmist prayed this because of great problems and pressures that had affected him to the extent that he believed if God did not intervene, he would die. This section, section 3 of the psalm, shows us that the author was a man who had suffered deeply. For example, in verse 22 and 23, he spoke about persecution. He spoke about deprivation and fear for his life and seasons when he seemed to get nothing from God's word in verse 18. He spoke about loneliness, rejection, sense of abandonment in verse 19 and 20. We will study them together. So in the midst of all these trials, he wanted to live, not only surviving, but to live, deal bountifully, a better quality of life. Why? To honor God and to keep his word. St. Augustine says, this is the reward that he asks, who says, reward your servant. There are four modes of reward. What are the four modes of reward? He said, either you repay evil for evil. Evil not, not sin here, but like punishment. As God will reward the everlasting fire to the unrighteous. Second mode, good for good. As God will reward an everlasting kingdom to the righteous. Or you repay good for evil. That's the third mode. As God, by grace, justifies the ungodly. Or evil for good. So I repay the good with evil. Like Judas or the Jews, through their wickedness persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ. Of these four modes of reward, the first two belong to justice, evil for evil, good for good whereby evil is rewarded for evil, good for good. The third belongs to mercy of God, 
whereby good is rewarded for evil. The fourth, God doesn't know it. To repay good with evil, God doesn't do this. For to none does God reward evil for good. But that which I have placed third in order, which is to reward the evil with good, is actually in the first instance necessary. For God, he starts with us by rewarding our evil with good, based on his mercy. And St. Augustine says, For unless God rewarded good for evil, there would be none to whom he could reward good for good. Meaning, when we understand the mercies of God, so in return, we repent, and we return back to him, then God will reward good for good. But it starts by God rewarding good for evil. Our evil deeds, God by his mercy and grace rewarded by good. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So the psalmist recognized that without God's enlightenment, he could not see what he could and should from the word of God. You need God to open your eyes. And by the way, the verb open here is the same verb that's used in Balaam's story. When the Lord opened Balaam's eye to see the angel of the Lord who was standing in the road with his sword drawn when his donkey started to speak. When we don't understand the Bible, it is not the word of God that needs it changing as if it were obscure. We are the ones who are veiled. There is veil and cannot understand the word of God without the work of the Holy Spirit. This veil of darkness or ignorance on, on the hearts of all men with respect to divine and spiritual things. That's why we ask God to remove this veil of darkness that we can see wondrous things from his word. St. Paul, his eye was darkened. That's why he was persecuting Christians. But after his baptism, scales dropped from his eye as a symbol of being unveiled, being enlightened. So the psalmist did not need new revelation. He did not ask God to reveal something new to him. But he needed to see the revelation that was already given, that's already there, open my eyes to see. He did not need new eyes. He needed to see more clearly with the eyes he had. That's why in the Old Testament, the prophets were called the seers because they saw what others could not see. Like what the Lord Jesus Christ said about Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In the scripture, there are wondrous things, but they can only be seen when your eyes are opened by God. Things which are secret or hidden from the common view, the deep spiritual meaning 
of the word of God. So David believed that there were such things in the law of God, very deep. He desired to see them. Like the Lord Jesus Christ rejoiced that God revealed his wisdom to the little babes. When he said, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Although the law was found in the hands of the Jews, yet they were veiled. They did not enjoy its wondrous things. They could not see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ in Isaiah, his name is wonderful. For according to St. Paul, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil that Moses put on his face remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. When you believe in Christ and ask God to remove this veil. But we all, the believers, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So perhaps the psalmist is asking that God reveal wondrous thing in the scripture concerning the Messiah, concerning Christ. Those profound mysteries of Christ and of God's grace. This means that prayer and the Bible study are linked together, very important. That's why every time we read the gospel in the church, it preceded by what? Litany for the gospel. Why? Because as David said, open my eyes. Before we read the gospel, we ask God to open our eyes. Verse 19. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. From verse 19, start to, to speak about the trials and why he's asking for the word of God because of all the trials. The request in verse 19 is like the request in verse 18, but for different reason. In verse 18, he wants to know the wondrous things in the God's word and to keep the word of God. But in verse 19, he recognizes that earth is not his home. We are strangers here. We are sojourners here. So he needs communication with his true homeland. He is in need of God's commandment to lead him, to guide him, to be his companion and to comfort him in his sojourn. You know, when you go to a country in which you don't know anybody, you need somebody to guide you. So he, he said, I'm a stranger here on earth. I need guide, I need leadership, somebody to lead me here. And he knows that his residence in earth is only temporary of our pilgrimage. The children of God desire to have constant contact with heaven our final home. 
And the main work of the divine commandment is to prepare us for heavenly citizenship. Feeling sojourn motivated David to get more attached to the commandment of God, to support him all the days of his sojourn and to lift him up and to the heavenly life. Like if you go to a place you never went to before, you will hold to a map in order to give you the direction. So the word of God is our map in our sojourn here. According to St. Augustine, when he said, I'm a stranger in earth, is he referring to his body or his soul? St. Augustine says it refers to his soul. Why? St. Augustine said, here an important question arises respecting the soul. For the word, I am sojourner or lodger or stranger upon the earth cannot seem to have been said in reference to the body because the body is taken, drives its origin from the earth. So the body is not sojourned from the earth. But his soul longed for God's word so much because he was indeed a stranger on earth. So he said, the soul here is speaking when he said, I'm a stranger on the earth. Verse 20, my soul breaks out with longing for your judgment at all times. My soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all times. So this is a given, given as a reason for prayer in verse 19. In verse 19 he said, I'm a stranger, don't hide your commandment. Now he is explaining why he is saying, I'm a stranger, don't hide your commandment. The desire to know more of the commands of God acted continually in him. His soul breaks with longing all the time for the judgment of God, exhausting his strength and overcoming him. So David had prayed that God would open his eyes in verse 18. Open the law, don't hide your law from me in verse 19. Now he pleads the sincerity and depth of his desire for knowledge. My soul breaks with longing for your judgment all the time. It is a fervent prayer that avails much, as St. James said. When he said, my soul breaks with longing for your judgment, your judgment, God's law, God's commands. This was a constant feeling and all the time, it was a steady, consistent state of the soul on the subject. So as if he's saying, my soul is crushing from longing after God's judgment, after a more and more thorough knowledge of them, the declaration of God's will. So the more he knows God's will and God's judgment and God's commandment, the more he is hungry and longing for the judgment of God. He had never seen enough of the beauty and glory of the law of God to feel that all the needs of his nature were satisfied. Like you eat a delicious meal 
and you need more and more and more from it. You will say, I never satisfied, I need more of it. He feels that he had not seen and felt enough to excite in him an eager deep desire to be made fully acquainted with all that there is in the law of God. So he feels he, he needs more and he wants to learn more in order to be satisfied with the beauty and glory of the word of God. Then in verse 21, he said to God, you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. As I told you, David was going through many trials. So in verse 20, why he used the word judgment? Why he did not use the word commandment, testimonies, your word, your law? He was longing for the judgment of God upon the wicked, upon those who want to kill him. Because the judgment of God is revealed in, in the law. So he told him, my soul breaks with longing for your judgment all the time. And according to your judgment, you rebuke, you God rebuke the proud, the cursed who stray from your commandment. So the connection between verse 21 and the previous verse seems to be the word judgment. The proud were everywhere rebuked by God in the law. The psalmist is meditating on the benefit or advantage of keeping the law of God, of a humble and godly life. I am I'm keeping your law and I am walking humbly. So, but you rebuked the proud. Why don't you rebuke them now? So he refers to what would be the opposite of walking humbly. If you are walking humbly, you will be blessed. And he says that God had in every way and at all times manifested his displeasure against the proud. God's judgment includes either or, or, or both. Verbal sentences against sinners delivered in the law or actual sentences upon them in deeds. In the history of Israel, we saw how God dealt with the unwicked. Who are the proud? In our mind, proud are all those just arrogant. But the proud are those who sin willfully and boldly. Because when you sin willfully and boldly, then actually you are standing against God with boldness, with arrogance. St. Augustine says, For it is one thing not to fulfill the commandments of God through infirmity or ignorance, another to err from them through pride. Pope Shenouda used to say, The sin of Peter is a sin of weakness. But the sin of Judas is a sin of betrayal, pride. Those proud who sin willfully and boldly, they are under the wrath and curse of God. You rebuke the proud, the cursed. Who cursed them? God. Like God rebuked Pharaoh, King Saul, Nebuchadnezzar. And many verses about how God 
resist the proud, like in James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. In Isaiah, holds the arrogance of the proud. In Luke, scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart. Such sin brings under a curse those who commit it. Those who commit the sin boldly and willfully bring upon themselves a curse. If it is be a blessed thing to walk in God's law, like in verse 1 of this psalm, it must be a cursed thing to transgress against it and to stray from his commandment. The proud, some understand it of the fallen angels. So you rebuke the proud, could be the fallen angels. As St. Jude said, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Or maybe the proud are the scribes and Pharisees in Christ's time, who were proud and despised others, considering them less holy than themselves, and did not submit to Christ, whom he often rebuked. God rebuked the proud. The psalmist is asking that God rebuke them now and relieve him from the contempt which they pile and load upon him for his obedience to the law of God. Verse 22 Remove from me reproach and contempt. So when he said, you rebuke the proud, he told him, remove from me reproach and, con- reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimony. Because I kept your testimony, that's why my enemies are reproaching me and want to kill me. God's servant almost necessarily suffered the reproach and contempt of the worldly, to whom their conduct seems irrational. The conduct of the righteous to the worldly seems irrational. Jesus Christ himself was despised and reproached also. And he said, the reason that I am despised and reproached, because I have kept your testimony. So it is the reason why he was reproached and despised. The reproach that the psalmist seeks that God removed from him may be a sin which produces disgrace in the sight of God. So when he committed adultery and murder, any sin produces disgrace and shame. So he's asking God to remove this reproach from him. According to scholar origin, sins deserve reproach and contempt. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, we read, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, but some to shame and everlasting contempt. So sin actually brings upon us contempt and shame. Verse 23, Princes also sit and speak against me. As I told you, he was speaking about all 
the difficulties he was going through. So he said, princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. So the princes were sitting, make a conspiracy against David. But David was sitting, doing what? Meditating on the word of God. So the psalmist recognizes that even princes sit and speak against him, but he would not turn from meditation on the word of God. This would have been applicable to David many times in his life, like how many times Saul with his son Absalom and Achitophel and Jonathan. Of course, Jonathan was favoring David, but they were speaking about David. What the princes did or said against him did not divert his mind or take off his thoughts from the word of God. He found comfort in the word of God. So none of these things moved him. Which I listen to us. The best way to deal with insult and hurt is to pray about it. God will either remove it or remove its wound and its pain from your heart. And David here is a type of Christ, for they were the princes of this world, Herod, Pilate, that scorned and crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 24, which is the last verse in section 3, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So verse 24 is an explanation of the words from verse 23. He is saying, your testimony, while the princes are making conspiracies about me, but your testimony were a sweet consolation to me in the time of trouble. And also your testimony guided me. Your testimony became like my faithful counselor in my trials. Although his enemies take counsel against him, but he has counseling from where? From the word of God. Absalom was consulting with Achitophel, but David was consulting with the word of God. Though David took counsel with men about affairs of state, yes, but he is asking God to speak through these people. But concerning spiritual affairs, the scripture were his counselors. And the psalmist make it very clear, he delighted in the word of God. He trusted the word of God much more than anything else. So in this part, the psalmist saw many things that hindered his reception of the word of God and his fellowship with God. And he prayed to be protected from them, like in verse 17, that I may live and keep your word. For example, he saw the danger of death. Therefore, he prayed about his life. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live. He saw the danger of the veil of darkness. That's why he prayed, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. He saw the danger of living as a sojourner. Therefore, he said, don't hide your commandments from me. He saw his own weakness. 
That's why he prayed, My soul breaks with longing to your judgment. He saw the danger of pride. That's why he recognized that the proud are cursed, those who stray away from God's commandment. He saw the reproach and contempt that came upon him. That's why he prayed and asked God to remove from him reproach and contempt. He saw rulers and princes plotting against him. That's why he said, your testimony are my delight and I'm meditating on your testimony. So he rises superior to these sorrowful circumstances by keeping the testimonies, meditating on the law, and so finding delight therein. I think I'll stop here. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.